0: Hello everyone, what's up listeners, MTG Goldfish Podcast is back with you, episode 26, 27, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How's it going everyone, Uh, as always with me is the crew, Uh, I have Richard, what's up Richard, how's it going?
1: Hey guys, what's up?
0: And Seth, or as you know him, Saffron Olive, what's up Seth?
2: Not much man, how's it going guys?
0: It's going good. And as always, Chaz, uh so all the hosts are here. Um might not be the longer uh, a longer cast today, uh this week. Um not that much is going on, you know, in this flux of pre release and uh Magic Origins about to become legal in all formats this week, so hopefully everyone has enjoyed the pre release. Richard has some stories for us, uh so we'll get to that. The topics we're gonna cover this week are the B and R announcement. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Richard's time in the pre-release and what he thinks about the set uh, from a limited standpoint. Uh, my thoughts on my uh, <laughs> a couple awful drafts. I did not go to the pre-release. I, I you know, drafted on uh, various programs, but I suck at drafting, <laughs> so that's well known. And um, then we'll talk about price movement. Me and Seth will tackle that. And then we have some awesome fish mail, so we'll get to the fish mail. To start it off, no changes. In all formats. All right. Um, thoughts on the the ban and restricted announcement, Richard?
1: I think it's to be expected. We didn't have a modern poll coming up, so I, I didn't expect them yeah. to kind of uh, change these formats. And unless there was an emergency ban of something in Origins, uh, yeah, I mean it seemed pretty standard. I don't think it was shocked. Um, people right. are you know breathing their sigh of relief over. You know, their cards, their blood braid elf is still sad.
2: <laughs> you know,
1: vengeance is still a thing. Collected company, not OP.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, we were all kind of leading towards the, uh, no changes side of the, the announcement, even though we kind of speculated a little bit, but I think we all kind of figured this was going to happen. And, and Seth, I know your thoughts on this already. I mean, you said this and Richard as well that like, they don't normally do this right. Uh, uh, until right before like a pro tour
2: yeah that's kind of the normal trend of things now i i think we forget because over the last few years we have had some really influential bannings that bannings don't really happen all that often like wizards policy is generally to keep their hands off unless they really have to change something so to expect something to change every ban list is a little bit optimistic and foolish i think
1: Kind yeah, of I mean, I. World Gorge Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> it did have to be touched, but it was. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, um, I, I wasn't so surprised with Standard and Modern, obviously, but, um, you did bring up the point last week, uh, Richard, about, um, dig through time. Uh, is it just not as egregious? Or, or is it, or they're just probably gonna just leave it alone?
1: Uh, I actually have no idea. I mean, it, it seems to kind of warp the format. Not as bad as Treasure Cruise, but it's it's pretty prevalent. There are several decks that are Tier 1 because of it, and it's pretty annoying to play against, but I don't know. It's, it, it's legacy, right? People will find a way to, to deal with it, so I guess they just want to give it some time.
0: I mean, that's really all we can talk about when there's no real changes to the format, so um, I guess things that are... Things are safe for now, and people can continue to play their decks and not have a fear of anything getting banned. Um, so that's good. And um, there's w- when's the next one? A few months.
2: Yeah, right after Battle for Zendikar pre-release, actually. So beginning of October, I'm assuming.
0: So it sh- we should be expecting something there, right?
2: maybe i'm Is expecting like or, the one
0: after that right it's
2: another standard pro tour for battle for zendikar the winner pro tour for the second set in zendikar block will be modern so i'm expecting okay. something uh, i guess it'll be january probably uh, i guess there's an outside chance they change something this fall but it's most likely that before the modern pro tour this winter they'll shake up the format like they usually do
1: well that's yeah. the earliest days i doing can be banned right they right. could ban
2: it in the fall, but they, they really had to but I, Yeah, that would be
0: interesting. There was
2: actually people calling for preemptive bannings like on Reddit. Some people really thought that they should have banned Days of Undoing and Modern before it even saw print actually. Wow. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Is it based
2: on any uh, actual playtesting or just <laughs> No, just people that yeah, think it's too bad uh, for no real reason. Let's too close to Time Twister, let's just ban it. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So,
0: Richard, you attended uh, the pre-release this past weekend. What, what did you think? Um,
1: tell us tell us your uh, pre-release stories. Uh, yeah, I, I had a very bad pool. <laughs> it was like – I chose black because I wanted a Liliana. That's, that's my scientific approach now. And, okay. Uh, I didn't know if anything good. I had a thought spy network, and I was trying <laughs> to get it to work, but uh, I, I ended up not going with it, but – I just had a pile of crap, and uh, you know I still played, and format's okay. I think renown is pretty overpowered. Um, I think most people are agreeing that like white X is like are the strongest, like white red or white green, and most of these renown creatures are pretty good even without renown, and it made sealed feel like drafts, like in a fast format where if you didn't have a two drop, you were just dead in the water. Um, so. You know, if you haven't played yet and you're playing sealed, make sure your deck actually curves out and you can't just, uh, journal around and drop bombs. You, you need to actually play on curve, otherwise Renown's just gonna run you over. So, no
0: Liliana. Stop your spy network, though. I opened Man. a
1: pile driver in my one miser pack for going two and two, so I was, I was pretty pleased with that, but.
0: Oh, sweet. I, I
1: was really hoping for a Liliana. A guy beside me opened a foil Nissa. So that was, uh. Ooh. That was interesting. <laughs> what, Damn. what was your, uh, promo? Uh, it was it was that card that Chaz likes, the one four that feels uh, <laughs> damage equal. Hey man, there you go. <laughs> what's, what's he, Master? Uh, what's he called? Uh, three? Three
0: blade Marauder. Yeah. Yeah.
1: If you hey want, man, Chaz, I still think that I'll card put a stamp good. on it and send it right to you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm. Go ahead, I'll take it. <laughs> That's, that's my card right there. I think the bonus he
1: hit for the <laughs> really entire pre-release was, like, two damage. Wow. <laughs> I could not get him. He, he was more or less a 1-4 uh, Death Touch Defender. Like That's pretty much it. <laughs> it's pretty hard to, like, hit with him. Hey, man, that's that's called versatility
0: right there, man. You just can block, kill things, attack. He can do it all.
1: 1-4 <laughs> Defender.
0: Um, I, on the other hand, I... I dra- man... I I really suck at drafting and I think I've said this like multiple times. I just don't know like what ends up actually being good in draft. I started red and then like ended up going so my final deck ended up being being a uh, blue red. But man like I just I thought I'm like I'm like I'm drafting these cards and I think they're good. Oh, this this could be good. Infectious bloodlust or like the Majoring uh, bully um, I got a couple of the, um uh, the creature that deals damage, uh, when they block it. I mean, that guy's really good, right? Like, is that just not a good card? I thought it was good in draft. Um Acolyte of the Inferno. That guy seems pretty good to, anyway. So I got O2'd really quickly by, uh, this green-black elves list that basically was a standard <laughs> black-green elves in Origins. I couldn't even tell you, like, how he got all this stuff, but. It was really awful, and then I just, like, dropped after O2 because, I mean, you know, I lived the dream the one time with the bully, and then, like, that was it. Then they just play, like, you're right, Richard, like, white is so good. They just, like, have so many creatures that tap down your creatures. Like, I couldn't do anything, and then, like, they played one flying creature, and I lost because I just had no removal. Red removal is just, maybe it's just not good, or I just didn't draft it. I didn't get a Chandra's Ignition. I don't know, man. I suck at drafting. That's all I know.
1: Yeah, what's interesting is it didn't feel like a core set. There's actually a lot of complicated things in yeah. that. Like, if you look at Reddit, like, the front page is just full of uh, people discovering interactions, which yeah. uh, usually doesn't happen during core sets, uh, so the mechanics are pretty complicated this time around, so that that's interesting, and uh, it kind of sucks for new players, because the new pre-releases bring a lot of new players out, so uh, it's it's kinda of hard for them and there's a lot of judge calls going on just to figure out the rules.
0: Yeah. It it definitely did not feel like a core set though. You are right. It definitely felt like more complete, like a regular set. But I mean, that's coming from me, I guess that doesn't mean much because I haven't drafted a core set since like M eleven or something like that, M twelve. Uh so yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was fun. I mean I'll keep doing it, whatever. I have to start getting better at drafting uh and sealed at some point. You can't win Even, a Pro
1: Tour without being good at limited, Chaz. There, there you go. <laughs> gotta be Seals a, a little, well-rounded Magic player.
0: <laughs> Sealed's a little easier because, like, at least I know right away, like, what I have, and I could just go from there. But the drafting aspect for me is just, like, I just get screwed sometimes because I feel like I'm going one color, and then, like, the next pack, I just never see that color, and... I just get past all this crap and I'm like damn and my
2: deck ends up really bad. <laughs> That's like basically every time I draft. Yeah. Uh, sounds like uh, maybe stay a little more flexible.
0: Yeah. Like yeah, maybe maybe not wait. Maybe don't wait. Maybe I just shouldn't choose my color at all.
2: Yeah, and just just take the best card out of each pack and then hope that it works out in the end. Like play yeah. four of each basic land or something. I mean,
0: is that is that like a legit, that can't be a legit strategy. Like, um,
2: Try it a couple times and let us know. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well be me, right? No, don't, don't really do that. But it is a legit strategy to try not to overcommit to one color too hard or try to yeah. feel out and see what's open after like the first pack wheels, after the first eight picks or so, and then try to uh, del- dive into a color or archetype from there.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, like the the first pack, like I was just getting past so much red acolyte, and then uh, like an infectious or like an infectious bloodluster or some other red card, and then another acolyte. It's like how do I not, how do I not take that?
2: Yeah, and and you were probably doing the right thing. Um,
1: but <laughs> but
2: the the problem the problem is too though. I probably wasn't. That's just but, so funny. But what you're getting past in pack one doesn't like necessarily mean you'll see that in pack two. I don't.
0: Well it I didn't so and,
2: I, and I'm not sure if taking uh whatever that enchantment is that you said was sort of like Rinker, I don't know if that really sends a strong signal to the person next to you to stay out of red
0: I, it sends a strong signal that he doesn't know what the hell like that. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, so yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> That is... That's that the is,
0: signal it sends. <laughs> at least you're sending signals. That's, that's, that's yeah. a good sign. So, that somewhere in my vicinity, someone doesn't know what the hell they're doing, so... Yeah,
2: you see, when you sit down to draft, everyone tries to, like, grab the seat next to you, because <laughs> they know that you're going to just be shipping them uh, all the cards that they I want. I mean,
0: it, it was a thing, like, at a local store that I used to go draft, and, um, uh, yeah, so,
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, I own it, but, yeah. I, I have to. I have to get better at it at some point, so...
2: Hopefully people will yell at me enough that uh, I get I get my shit straight. Just do it a lot, and that's the main thing with drafting. I think it's just, yeah. the more you do it, the better you'll yeah. get at it.
0: Yeah, that's really the main thing. I mean, I just don't understand like how much time has passed, and I just I just suck.
2: Like, <laughs> do you like it at least? Did you have fun? Like, that's the main thing.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I did have fun. I, I really do like drafting. I just, you know, I. I just, I, I guess I've never really, over the course of playing Magic, I, I was so focused on constructed. Like, cause me, to me, that's easier, like, for me to evaluate matchups and playtest, like, matchups and that kind of, uh, those kind of, uh, tells and, and, and sequencing, rather than, like, trying to gauge what people are drafting or, like, what I should be picking before another card. I go in with a plan sometimes, and then the plan just, like, blows up after, like, the third pick. So it's, like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing sometimes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a huge difference between limited and constructed. Yeah, there, it really yeah. is like almost a whole different game. So,
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Seth, let's, uh, let's do the uh, price movement this week.
2: All right. So looking over the weekly change for standard, we have the winners uh, starting with Monastery Mentor, Obelisk of Erd, Wooded Foothills, Tassiger, Polluted Delta, Dictate of Erebos again, Bio Blight, Ojtai's Command creeping up there, Roast, and Cord of Calling up to eight dollars. On the other side, the losers, we have Collected Company, uh, recently announced to be in the Clash Pack, Dragonlord Ojtae, Nissa World Waker, Stormbreath Dragon, Dragonlord Atarka, Mana Confluence, Deathmas Raptor, Command, Brimaz, and Windswept Heath, also in the Clash Pack.
0: Yeah, so that's not surprising. So um This Clash Pack that got announced, uh, it's pretty good, right? Like, there's a lot of value in there.
2: Yeah, there's a ton of value in the Clash Pack. It's uh, pretty surprising and impressive. Like, I think, Richard, you posted something when it was first spoiled. What was it, like, four cards or five cards were over $40 just for those cards?
1: Yeah, so I think I counted all the cards over $2, and it was like $45 plus. And then on top of that, you get all of the alternate art foils and then all the commons and uncommons. Um, but, like, uh, you guys, uh, nailed it. collector company wind swept Heath, the two big ones, uh, sitting there. So if anyone wants those cards, you might as well just pick up some Clash Packs and, uh, get a bunch of extra products with
0: it. Yeah. Now, Seth, uh, in terms of, like, to, to talk, just to touch on this Clash Pack in terms of the financial value, I mean, they're obviously a good pickup at 20 bucks, right? I mean, you're getting your, plenty of value in, uh, the, these Clash Packs this time around. Um, I've been asked a lot about what, like the future is of Collected Company. And the only, uh, the only thing I can kind of draw a parallel to is, um, Corserve Crew uh, when it was first reprinted in one of these, um, these, uh, supplemental products. Do you think, now it has gone down a little bit, this collect, uh, Collected Company, th- this past week. Do you think it could rebound in the future?
2: Uh, in the future, yes. How quickly that can happen, I'm not exactly sure. Like, the thing is, I think MSRP on these is $29.99, and Clash Packs are a big-box store product. So if you want one of these, you're going to be able to get one, or as many as you want, most likely, for $29.99. So it's going to be really hard for the cards to maintain a $45 or $50 combined value, when you can just buy them from a Walmart or a Target for 30 bucks, Right. So something's got to drop over the short term. Um, in the long term, I think Collected Company will be fine. Like, it's too good and too much of a modern staple for even this to really hold it down over the long term. I think that maybe you'll see a bigger influence on some of the the less expensive but still uh, valuable cards, the Siege Rhinos and offenses, Like it might hurt those more than it hurts Collected Company. So, bold statement. Do you think uh, Collected
0: Company will be under $10 for a while?
2: Uh, I think it could... Be, I think it'll be around $10. I don't okay. think it'll go yeah. much lower than that. That's probably about the floor, I think.
0: Yeah. So, uh,
2: for a while,
0: at least, everyone out there that has not gotten their Collected Companies, there, there will be a good amount of time to uh, finally get in on those this list uh the going back to the um the, the price movement uh this losing list looks very similar to what we were talking about last week uh so those continuing to drop uh some cards from dragons of tarkir again we talked about uh the increased supply
2: theros cards
0: obviously and m15 not surprising that some of those cards are declining as well
2: yeah, pretty predictable at this point. Stuff that's heading to a rotation and the DTK stuff, like you said, that's hitting peak supply. So, Yeah. Uh,
0: on the other side, um, this seems uh, honestly not that surprising. Monastery Mentor, surprised that it even got that low in the first place, being uh, such a multi-format staple, even sometimes in Legacy with some of those miracle lists. Taziger, obviously, has, has hit a floor and is now rebounding a little bit. Uh, there's there's your card. Dictate, you know, chugging along at eight cents increase.
2: So there you go.
0: <laughs> hey, when <laughs> and, uh, I started
2: talking about it, you could get them for like forty cents, and now they're dollars. Right, yeah, all right, so. all
0: right. It makes sense. So uh, this this is a huge success. Uh, obviously, if you got in on these uh, under a dollar, uh, the fifty cent mark when you were first talking about it. Ojitai's command actually is very surprising, and. Um, well, it's not surprising because it is a good card, but there has been some rumblings that it could get a lot better with some of these um, extra, you know, two-mana cost or lower uh, creatures getting printed.
2: So I was reading LSV's set review for Constructed today for blue cards, and he gave Jace a four stars out of five. Wow. And he thinks that card is very good, very playable all around, and Ojitai's Command happens to interact really well. Like, you can get your planeswalker back from the graveyard in the late game uh, with Ojitai's Command.
0: Yeah. Uh, I have heard this work well with, like, maybe as, like, a blue-white tempo base list with uh, Relic uh, Hunter.
2: Oh, yeah, that's, that's another good suggestion. Are there really equipments, though? Like, what are we searching up with Relic Hunter? Um... Well, we have that new equipment, uh, say or sort of the
1: uh, animus? animus. Animus. There yeah. we oh, go. That that thing's such a beating and limited. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Other than that, I don't know, uh, but yeah. What Maybe that's kind of future down the line once we have more equipment with like Zendikar and stuff.
2: What's up with uh Ablesk of Erd? Like this is a card that's rotating in 3 months. Haven't seen any, like, huge jump in play that I'm aware of. Why is this near the top um, of our winners? This,
0: most likely because of their, uh, of hype for at least a little while in Summer Magic, uh, for Type 2 Goblins. I call it Type 2, Standard Goblins. Okay. So, maybe one last hurrah for this?
1: Yeah, I think it's Standard Goblins or Standard Elves. I think people are getting excited. Yeah. Or maybe just White Weenie. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's a good white weenie card. We have it, a lot of is. tribal aggro decks that potentially could happen with origins. Yeah, so
0: Definitely think, in yeah. standard, too. So kind of like one last hurrah. I don't expect this to last long, uh, but, I mean, for now, at least it will uh, spike for a little while, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah it makes yep. sense.
0: All right, moving on to Modern. Weekly Change, Living End, at the top of the chart. Then Jace the Mind Sculptor, Magus of the Moon, Blackleaf, Cliffs, Circle of Protection, Red, all right. Uh, Engineered Explosives, Creeping Tar Pit, Gilt Leaf Palace, Mutavault, Warren Instigator, uh, Top Losers, Horizon Canopy, Gro- Grove of the Wellows, Gorio's Vengeance, Snapcaster Mage, Cryptic Command, Heritage Druid, Crucible of Worlds, another copy of Cryptic Command, Arcbound Ravager, and Daybreak Coronet. So, Circle of Protection, okay.
1: I got a question about that on Twitter. Do you guys know? Like, I don't.
2: <laughs> I circle have, protection, I, read, like... I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't. Well, I couldn't tell you. I think it sees uh, a bit of sideboard play looking over the deck lists. um, but I don't know why now in specific. I'm trying to look and see if any of the other... Like versions, like right now, the Tempest version is still at twenty two cents and hasn't moved at all. So I don't know if there's something weird going on with the ninth edition version.
0: Yeah, this this actually happened um, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago now with the ninth
2: edition version of the the Tron Lands. Remember that, Seth? Yeah, that's true. Because I just I looked at fourth edition here now too, and that's still twenty three cents. So it's yeah. only the ninth edition that is increasing for whatever yeah. reason.
0: So, maybe a terrible attempt at a, uh, <laughs> um, but, it's not yeah, like I the mean, four we were...
1: people selling the ninth edition yeah. uh, version of TCG Player have decided to change the prices. Yeah,
0: something yeah. Uh, because I... we did look at this before, like with the, um, like I said, with the Urzatron lands, and, uh, like the ninth edition spiked, but then you could still find, like, the Black Border Antiquities, like, versions for, like, four
2: bucks. Which is so weird, because you would think the Antiquities version would be the most desirable and most expensive. I know, but well, they're not. Just really. looking
1: <laughs> at all these editions, I'm going to say the ninth edition has the best art. <laughs> so it's not... Uh, it's not uh,
0: a, yeah, but it comes at a steep price, my man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> looking at the, the unlimited or revised art, it's just really bad. <laughs> so uh, this could be a you reason get the, the You get the
0: art, history. but that, that dreaded white border...
2: <laughs> the Tempest 1 I'm really not sure what's going on in that one either. Yeah, it's like So, hmm. uh
0: Living End uh showing a massive increase uh this week to follow it up Blackleave Cliffs. I mean, this was coming a mile away, I think. Yeah. I mean, you just wrote an article about uh modern prices and Living End was still one of those decks that was grossly underpriced and in modern standards
2: Yep, and people are playing it in these weird, like, combination decks, like the Living End Splinter Twin <laughs> mashup yeah. now, so it's seeing even more play because of, uh, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and with Splinter Twin dropping a good amount in price from this, uh, past reprint, I mean, it just made sense that Living End shouldn't be, like, a 3 to $4 card anymore.
2: Yeah, and it's, I mean, Time Spiral is very, is relatively low supply. It only has one printing, so. It has all the signs of a card that should have spiked at some point. Yeah. Um, so there's one more. <laughs> there's one more
0: section that Richard so graciously put on the site for us. Uh, this tracks just origins. So thank you for that, Richard. Why don't, why don't you go through what's uh, <laughs> all right <laughs>
2: What weekly... the weekly
0: changes for origins are.
2: Seth. Weekly changes for origins. We have uh, Liliana, languish. Starfield of uh Dwyan's elite is how do you? I'm not sure how you say that. Yeah, I think we're gonna go with Dwyan. Okay, Knight of the White Orchid, Titan Strength, Harbinger of Tides, Dwyan, Giltleaf, Dane, Dane, (laughs) Dane, and Helm of the Gods. But and that's it. (laughs) No more. What you? (laughs) You skipped over the third. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. You're right. I did miss one. And third place this week, up 123% to over $2, uh, Thopter Spy Network. Boom. There it is. I tried. Dropping oh, the mic. I didn't <laughs> want to read it. I tried so hard to not read it. Hey,
0: Starfield's right under it, man.
2: That's that's hey. true. Something for everyone in this week's changes. Something
0: for everyone in this weekly we changes. All right, on the on the uh, loser side... Erebos's Titan, Sword of the Animist, uh Evolutionary Leap, Kytheon, Jace, uh Archangel of Tithes, Pile Driver, Avaricious Dragon, Honored Hierarch, and Alhameret's Archive. Not a huge uh surprise there. Yeah, I mean, Sword of the Animist started out really high for some reason. I mean, I understand it, like it, it's a decent card for an equipment, but I mean, five ninety nine, six bucks for the for for this equipment, I, I thought was kind of high. I wonder if... I'm
1: pretty sure it just goes into every single EDH deck. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's probably like part I, of it. I think it's a really good card, right? It's just <laughs> I, I don't know if you're ever going to use it in standard, but it's a, it's a very powerful effect for just two mana.
2: Yeah, that is true. I might have to study this sometime, but I really want to look at the impact that being spoiled on the last day of spoilers with no article has. Because that happened with Deathrite Shaman... And it flew under the radar and spiked like from two bucks or something to twenty bucks. So I wonder if vendors are overpricing these last day spoilers to make sure they don't miss out on the next death right shaman or something.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess so because that would make sense, but I. Because that would be a good explanation as why
2: this card is so grossly un- overpriced, I think. <laughs> because, I mean, it is an EDH staple, but being a rare yeah. EDH staple doesn't mean that much while you're in print and standard. Like, yeah, down the road, that'll maintain a good price, but right now, that shouldn't be a 6 or $7 card, I don't think. Yeah. Um, another one I thought was a kind of surprising
0: was Evolutionary Leap, <laughs> um, I mean, I hear all kinds of, I mean, I know your article on it, uh, and your, your analysis of the card, but I mean, I'm hearing all kinds of different takes on this card from really good to really bad. So, I mean, I just don't know. I think maybe, cause, I mean, we saw this with Collected Company too, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, every time someone compares this to Survival of the Fittest, I throw up in my mouth a little bit. Oh, like, no, like, come it's on. Just, uh, it's just... <laughs> come on. I think there's a lot of delusional people when it comes to this card, and I'm not sure why everyone loves it. Like, to me, it looks like a bulk rare, but, but I really respect that, and as far as knowing finance and knowing magic, really like it. So I definitely could be wrong here, but... Five, six, seven bucks? Like I said with Sword of the Animus, that's still a lot for an imprint rare, unless you really think this is going to be collected company and be a four of in modern somehow.
0: I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think, like, it, it, trust me, it's not Survival of the Fittest. Don't, don't even, like, misconstrue what I'm about to say, but I think even a fair version of Survival of the Fittest uh, could still be good. So that's my take on it. Yeah, maybe five bucks right now seems like a lot, but. Again, Collected Company, um, was a kind of another the only like engine card that I could kind of compare this to since it was just in the previous set, uh, was flying under the radar like this also, and everyone kind of was like, Yeah, I mean, Collected Company's good, like yeah, yeah, yeah and then boom, it just took off. So
2: yeah, I mean, maybe it'll get there. I, I mean, it's cheap, and it is costed in a way where it could be tournament playable. It's not one of those... I mean, like, it's the exact same cost as survival. Right. So, it, I mean, it does have some history there that suggests it could be. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I just don't see where it fits right now, but maybe a good deck builder will figure out some broken way of playing this card in modern. It's definitely possible. Everyone, Thopter Spy Network. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Um,
0: I, trust me, man, when I, when I read that, I was in disbelief. (laughs) I was just like, I I think I messaged you and I was just like, nah, what, what is going on here? But apparently, uh, LSV gives us a three out of five. So that's not bad. Um, there's been some blue red thopter brewing going on that could be viable at least for a little while, uh, while shrapnel blast is around at least. So, Uh, Richard, what what are your takes? Uh, uh, What's your take on all this?
1: Well, Liliana's going to be the best planeswalker. Yeah, (laughs) I
0: think so. She's right
1: up there with Nyssa now. So, I don't know if this is a price correction. People have been testing and like, hey, Liliana's not bad or or what. But uh, I'm excited. Well, not really. I I hope Liliana would be cheap so I can buy a place out of her. But (laughs) at the same time, being good is, like, legitimate.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah – Every one of us on this cast I I think had the um the forethought to say that Liliana was very good and if will there's a be... Liliana
1: deck with languish well I mean if there's a Liliana deck it's obviously gonna be languish in it, but if there's a good Liliana deck, I will actually play standard this time. Wow. Ooh. That's a bold statement thought season Liliana, that's all I need. <laughs>
0: <laughs> At least for a little while, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um Let's uh let's move into the fish mail. We got some really good fish mail uh this week, so uh Richard start us off.
1: Alright. Uh from at T I don't know, T G I R C H chances right. of a tier one mill deck, Sphinx's tutelage, Cothoped, Jace, treasure cruise, dig through time, any other good ideas? Uh, our our brewing expert Seth here. What what do you think? Yeah, Their budget tier brewing one mill deck. Uh,
2: man, has there ever been a tier one mill deck?
1: Blue black control. Uh, well,
2: yeah, <laughs> I guess that's I guess that's sort of a mill deck. It did win by milling. Dr- uh,
0: Nefalia Drown Yard control, the last really good mill deck. And I don't really, yeah, I mean it could be, a, yeah, it was basically a mill deck. Uh, Owling mine. That's the only one I can remember, back in Kamigawa um, slash
2: Ravnica Standard. And it was a blast to play and watch. I have to say, I wasn't playing during that time, but this week when I was trying to find my budget list, that is one of the lists that I put together and played a few matches with. It's not the budget magic for this week, so I actually know what this deck is and have played it in the past week, the Owling Mind deck. and it, The Owling Mind deck? I, I have played it this week on Magic Online, like several yeah. matches, and it is pretty sweet.
0: It's It was so, like, when it first came out, it was so, like, unorthodox because, like, I think when people learn Magic the Gathering, <laughs> there's a very harsh lesson that you learn very quickly to never give your opponents, like, an advantage, especially drawing cards, <laughs> and this, like, pulled it off, and, like, you just – you watch the deck play. It's like, this shouldn't be working. <laughs> But it
2: is. Yeah. Yeah, it is it is definitely crazy that the idea is to make your opponent draw cards. Like, that's the whole concept of the deck.
0: In the back of everyone's head, it's like, why <laughs> that, that shouldn't be, like, does not compute. Like, and,
2: and was that deck good, Chaz? Was that, like, a tier yeah, one deck I mean, in, in its time?
0: I mean, I don't know if it was, like, a tier one deck to beat, but it was definitely viable. It showed up in tournaments like, and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was definitely a good deck, yeah.
2: Uh well as far as this standard I think it's unlikely that we see a tier 1 mill deck. Um, the what is it, Sphinx is uh, I can't think of the name of it now. Sphinx's Tutelage. Tutelage yeah. is a very cool card and I think it could have potential as maybe a like control mirror match finisher just to play it on turn 3 and know that over the course of the game you're going to win because just by drawing cards naturally but I'm not sure there's enough pieces to build around it and make milling a uh, legitimate strategy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I
0: mean, I'm in the same boat. I mean, mill is just kind of one of those things that never really gets off the ground.
2: That says uh, this yeah, week's like, budget magic is mill. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay, so well then there you go.
1: Uh, uh, go ahead, Richard. Yeah. fair mill decks are really hard because you know you don't win until you get their last card, and getting you know 45 cards, 50 cards is actually pretty hard. Um, so, if you want a mill deck, it usually has to be some kind of, like, combo finish, like, um, painter servant grindstone kind of deal. Uh, so, tier one, I don't know, but you might, someone might be able to put together, like, a tier two ish, like, a Mazes end kind of deck. We do have some powerful mill cards right now. You could, so. you could
2: probably play an FM or something with it, I'm sure, like, that level. Yeah. So, so I think it's yeah. worth brewing with, but I wouldn't expect it to go, uh, win the upcoming pro tour or anything like that. I mean, yeah,
0: those kind of decks, like I said, those those are like the decks that probably won't be viable, but are like a blast to play at, like an FNM. and M. Like, I, I think you could probably show up to an F and M with like mono green centaurs or something like that.
1: <laughs> White borders, yeah, <laughs> I couldn't get um, there.
0: <laughs> so, um but yeah, I'm I'm in the no camp.
1: <laughs> All right. On that so, question. moving on to uh, a question from Lo Pilato. What is the thing you've noticed change about magic the most? Oh, this is Ben Lo Pilato.
0: Okay. Whew, this is. Uh, this is a very broad question. Um. The thing I've noticed change about magic the most? I don't know, I'm gonna have to think on that one for a couple minutes.
2: Uh, well. I haven't been playing as long as you guys, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, I started like the original Ravnica era, so uh, I don't know, eight years ago now, something like that. But one thing that I noticed is, and this isn't directly the game itself, but the rise of Magic Finance as its own community has been, I think, one of the biggest changes in the game. Like, even when I started really getting interested in finance in like 2009, you didn't have sites dedicated to Magic Finance you didn't have articles being written about Magic Finance. And I can tell you from experience, this happened in the real world, that people would sell their collections for such incredibly cheap prices just because they, they didn't, people didn't know or didn't care about that aspect of the game. And now there are many sites, including MTG Goldfish, dedicated mostly or specifically to finance. And the average player, partly because prices have increased so much, has to like pay attention to this aspect of the game if they want to keep playing the game. So for me that's one of the biggest changes in my time in Magic.
0: Hmm, very
2: good, yeah.
1: That that's that's certainly a good one, yeah. Uh Richard, all right. I'll answer this with a different take. I'll, I'll answer this with the Magic universe. So when I started playing Magic, you played Magic uh because it was cool to play with dragons, angels, goblins, dwarves, whatever. Uh now it seems like Wizards is really pushing the, the Planeswalkers. Um with all of their new products, uh, you know, Magic Origins obviously, the the five um, kind of uh, poster children of Magic of the Five Planeswalkers, Arena of the Planeswalker, Magic Duels, they're all focused around the stories of the five planeswalkers. Um so this is a very uh they're trying to kind of build a, a brand and a franchise, and we're obviously going to see this with the Magic the Gathering movie. Um, but I, I think at the same time, it's kind of taken a bit you know, uh, away from the, the fantasy world of magic, where you know it's not about these people running around uh, slinging spells. It's about these magical worlds full of demons and weird creatures and things like that. So I've definitely noticed a, a shift in that. Um, and then kind of along the same line is uh, magic art. Uh, if you look at the art from the older sets, uh, it was all over the place, and it, it was actually pretty cool. Now, they all kinda of look the same, like, there, there's a very specific direction they're going for, and all the cards look the same, kind of. Um, so, you can see the evolution of magic from kind of a, uh, I don't know, like a game you play in the basement with your nerd friends. <laughs> to, to now, where, like, everyone... Like, I, I mean, like, almost everyone I know knows about Magic. They may not play Magic, but almost everyone knows what Magic the Gathering is, which is uh, very different from, like, ten years ago, where, uh you know, no one knew what Magic was unless they were your actual nerd friends.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Um, I might actually piggyback on what you said, Richard, um, and to go even further that... Um, I mean, it's changed the entire earth uh, and and how we, you know, how people interact. But I just think it's insane how much, uh, like, social media and, and all that has drastically changed the game. And I'm not just talking about, like, the internet and, like, you know, even a few years ago when people were, when, when deck lists were starting to get posted and, like, everyone can see deck lists now and net deck and, 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 that whole controversy. I mean, we've even gone like a step ahead of that where like now everyone kind of knows like even these little nuances in the, um, in the community when, uh, that kind of stuff didn't, wasn't really as widespread as before. Like, Seth, really just recently, like the, the whole like Patrick Chapin thing with the, you, he got a game loss and all that, right? Like something like that probably wouldn't have been so huge uh in the community uh but th- this day and age with information basically traveling instantly all over every sort of different outlet you can even think of just so many magic websites um uh, just with magic content and twitter and facebook and reddit especially you know you just didn't have that kind of information flowing all the time even a few years ago like even when when decklists were like such a big thing that you can even go on and like start net decking uh, decklists from from large tournaments, I think we've gone so far even past that uh, that it's certainly interesting. It's it's just injected this kind of social thing into uh, the game, and that's even I think changed uh, the game on so many dynamics, so many levels. Even like at FNM, uh, some people would be talking about some of this stuff. Um, that I wouldn't have even really been talking about a few years ago. That's my take on it.
2: I think that's a good point. I think just to touch on what you said, I think one of the maybe side effects of that or unintended consequence is that the community has almost like our country has seemed to become very divided over some issues like if just from yeah. browsing reddit and stuff like this social aspect has went beyond the game itself and the cards itself into, like, these big-picture issues where the community is, like, sorting through issues, like uh, how to make magic more accessible for women, Um, even the Patrick Chapin thing, like, stuff that isn't directly tied to the game, like, which is just really interesting to me that uh, this community has gone beyond the game itself and into these big-picture, like, social issues. Yeah,
0: and not to, like, try to get into this whole... um, uh, into this any of these social issues um, uh, it would take way too long to even dive into any of them uh, uh, on their own. But yeah, I mean when you have like a a platform like Reddit where pros are issuing like an apology for, you know, their actions or um, you know, making statements. I mean, that wasn't really a thing, not like just even a few years ago. And I, I just find it fascinating now that so many people are informed about every, every little thing, every little nuance about the uh, community now.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah.
0: So really, really good question. Thank you, uh, Ben. Thank you for that question.
1: So our last question is from Brian Dale and he asks with a March rotation, when will buy list uh, prices start to drop on cons of Tarkir cards? Okay. Brian, Brian, Brian. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I do know Ryan, uh, Seth. Uh, when I, I'm saying, I'm thinking, um,
2: th- usually this happens what, like a couple months before rotation. Well, it's I don't know what to make of this new rotation schedule, and I'm not sure we're right. going to figure it out till it happens. Like normally, with the fall rotation, which is what we've always had or had for however many years, cards will peak in the winter, like January, February, maybe the mm-hmm. beginning of March. And then they will start to decline through the spring until they really drop off. Uh, They've dropped off by now for this fall rotation, maybe June, July. Uh, So four months before rotation, you'll see a really big noticeable decline. The weird thing with this new rotation is that Battle for Zendikar is going to release right at a time when typically the cards that are rotating would be declining. But at the same time, cards typically spike when a new set releases in the fall and you get this fresh standard format. So you have these two competing forces, and I really have no idea how this is going to shake out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As it is right now, we're on that kind of normal timeline where you know buy lists uh, in particular are now dropping for these kind of old block cards. Like you said, it goes along that timeline where they kind of rise, and then we're in the spring, they kind of decline a little bit. But then the buy list, like, really bottomed out uh, right around this time. So, yeah, with this new block cadence, because you made a good point. It's like, in October is when cons will start rebounding, but then you only have a couple months where uh, you're going to want the cons cards because they rotate in March. Right, so take... So you don't have that big of a time frame anymore.
2: Yeah, like Soren is a great example. Soren is, like, $8 it is exactly the type of card that in a normal year you'd say you should be buying this now cuz it's going to see more play in october go up to fifteen twenty 15 20 bucks easy money but now i don't even know if that like traditional knowledge is right anymore like sure maybe he'll see, he'll probably see more play but he's going to be rotating like 6 months after october so he should be starting to decline right after that so i just i really have no idea what to do with these cards i don't i yeah. don't know what to say
0: yeah, if I mean, if anything, like we could be seeing like a very sharp uh, spike and then a very sharp decline, like maybe a month or month and a half later, uh, when these buy lists all just start dropping, because that'll be the time frame of. In six months, you would think that three months in is when the buy lists are going to start declining uh, a good amount, right? I mean, that just kind of makes sense as a timeline. Um, so, yeah, because I mean, like like you said with Soren, I mean, I'm getting questions all the time about, um, oh, like wing wing wingmate Rock in particular, oh, it's it just seems like such a slam dunk. It's like two bucks, you know. It's starting to see play a lot. Uh, it's a really great five drop, and my my answer to that is always, um, you know, I don't really do like that kind of quote unquote slam dunk spec uh, for rotation anymore because. Not only the fact that, like, we're changing to the new block cadence, but how do you know that there's just not another 5-drop that's going to be printed like a Stormbreath Dragon that just, like, blows it completely out of the water? Yeah. So it's just hard because, like, even Soren, a a great card, I would think it would increase too because it is a really good card, but how do you know another 4-mana Walker's not played and Soren just never gets its time? So now you have, like, two dual issues uh going on at the same time uh for uh in future investing
2: yeah i think i think this year for me is really the next two rotations or so maybe three rotations will be a time to really like study how this new schedule impacts prices and because of that i'm going to take a really conservative approach and just not do as much as normal until i have a good sense of how this new schedule is going to impact things
0: yeah i think that's a really really good approach yeah very good I, I totally agree because I mean you would just be chasing good money with bad at that point yep because you just don't know how prices are gonna react do um, and this is like just kind of tying the whole question together I mean does do pre-orders initially start out high and then they drastically drop like like normal but even like more so do pre-orders not even start so high I mean I don't know because there's just not a lot of life in these blocks anymore.
2: Yeah. And we don't have any like historical basis. Like that's one of the main ways we figure out this finance stuff is looking over what's happened in the past. And we don't have that basis this time around. This is all new to all of us. So,
0: yeah, I mean, you'll still have um, those kind of fundamentals of, uh, is it seeing play in eternal formats? Is it good and modern? Is it, you know, what's the foil situation with like a casual card? We still have those kind of, things to evaluate as well but you're right i mean that that historical um those historical pricings and uh trends are out the window and it's really hard finance without them
2: yeah yeah it's definitely going to be interesting at the same time i'm really excited to see how this pans out so i'm looking forward i think i'll have a lot to write about over the next uh year (laughs) yeah i
0: think (laughs) think we all will yeah (laughs) um but yeah great great questions very good questions um,
1: is that it, Richard? That's it. That's that's all our fish mail. So if you guys have any more uh, MTG fish mail questions, just tweet at us at the hashtag MTG Fishmail.
0: Sweet. All right, dudes. I think that about does it. Right? Uh, any final thoughts about anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we nailed it. Yep. Yep. So um, I think we're gonna have a lot to talk about next week with uh, the first big Star City games. And it's kind of important because Modern uh, Magic Origins rather will be uh, available and ready to go. So, a lot of interesting stuff will probably happen uh, by by this time next week. Uh, with that, um, I think that about does it for this episode. So this is going to be the MTG Goldfish Crew signing out. We will see you all next time.